as we build more access to uh, blue collar workers across Indonesia, we become good friends with the banks. We are not here to compete with the, yeah. the banks. We see them as partners and we provide them the right access to these individuals. And we would love to work with the banks to create products that are going to solve the problems and the needs of the individual. Mm -hmm. So yes, there has been a lack of access. There is an underbanked, unbanked customer base in Indonesia. And we want to be that bridge that leads to that connects the banking world, existing banking world with the blue collar world. And now, he is the co-founder of Gajiesa alongside his co-founder and wife, Martina Malinowska. Hi everyone, welcome back to another new episode of Quest Conversations. And today we have Vidit from Gajiesa. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to talk about all things about uh, fintech, also serving the Indonesian market uh, and the underserved uh, customer segment, and also your, your growth journey and your fundraising journey. But before we get into it, uh, would you like to tell us more about yourself and your startup? Hi, everyone. My name is Vidit and I'm the CEO of Gajigesa. Um, Gajigesa is an earned wage access model that started in Indonesia about a year ago. Um, the idea is that there are a lot of blue collar employees who run out of capital in the middle of the month and end up with loan sharks or traditional lenders who charge them very high interest rates. So our idea is, can we partner with the employer and provide responsible capital um, to lead to financial resilience for a lot of these employees so that they don't end up with loan sharks? Uh, from my background, right now I'm the CEO of Kajikesa, but before this, um, I was the head of partnerships at Stripe uh, for Asia Pacific. Before that was the CEO at Caro, and before that spent multiple years at Uber uh, with the last role leading partnerships in Southeast Asia. That is an amazing suite of uh, experiences that you've accumulated over the years. That's very uh, kind of you to say that. <laughs> yes, and I believe Martina as well. Would you like to tell us more about her? So my co-founder and uh, my actually my wife is Martina. She couldn't be here today, but uh, um, her last role was at Standard Chartered as a product director leading the lending portfolio. Uh, before that, uh, she spent good four to five years at Lendo EFL, which is also a Quest yes. portfolio company. Um, and the idea was that she spent a lot of time in factories in Indonesia, Philippines, Cambodia, mm. uh, trying to understand the needs of the unbanked customer and how also she could build a credit score around that. At that stage, she saw a lot of employees, especially the blue collar workers, struggling to get capital. And I think that's where the true you know, idea of Gajigesa was born. So Martina and yourself spend quite a fair bit of time really down on the ground interacting with these people that you are serving as well? Yeah, so I mean, like being a couple, we do spend a quite a fair bit of time. Uh, but at the same time, like she spent a lot of time dealing with the blue collar workers. In my past experiences, um, I've spent a lot of time with Uber drivers in Indonesia, yes. as well as, you know, car dealers, which are not very different profiles, car mechanics. Yes. And unfortunately, the challenge remains the same. Um, the blue collar workers, no matter which space you come from, there's always a struggle for capital. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to solve. And I think one thing crucial about founder to solve real needs and provide real solutions is empathy. And how do you think that was harnessed when, uh, through your many years of experience down on the ground speaking to like the Uber drivers and Martina with the blue collar workers? And how important do you think that is uh, in order to build a solution like that? 
That's a great question. So when you think about your user, and we did a lot of user testing, yeah. it's very important to put yourself in your in their shoes, understand their challenges, um, and also understand the origins of their problems. Right? Like uh, sure. for us, we live in Singapore. Uh, we've had a different set of education. We've been very fortunate, mm-hmm. but often people, our users of Gajigas, are not in, uh, that fortunate. Have not been, um, been not been going to top schools. Don't have the financial support. So we spend a lot of time just understanding their challenges, either it's financial, family challenges, and how can we solve that? Okay. Um, that really helped us really build the product that was needed, um, and also you know interestingly as we were building the product, we got different responses from men versus women. Okay. Uh, what, what, what are some of the differences? So one, one thing we learned, which we kind of knew, but we saw more and more, was that uh, Indonesian families, especially on mm. the blue collar worker yes. side, are run by women. They, okay. they are the they are the ones they are the glue that keeps the family going they are the ones that pay the bills often they are the ones that really? control the capital of the family oh i didn't expect that at all yeah so this was very interesting right okay. so how do we build a product that is going to help the woman who leads the family in some ways yes. manage her financials better um, help her with capital so that the family is in a good standing mm-hmm. so that was a, a, in a way a very interesting learning we built as we did more research on the ground Awesome, and I believe uh, that you have decided to join the Accelerator by Bank BRI. How, how has the journey been so far, and why did you decide to join the Accelerator? Yes, yeah, so we're very lucky to be accepted to the Simrani BRI Accelerator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been a part of the program for a month, and um, it's just a great access to different companies in Indonesia. Um, so that's really helping us. We're getting great mentorship from the team there. Um, they're very open to helping. We can ask them any questions as we think about, you know, what are the needs on the ground. Uh, BRI has years and years of expertise. They have access to the whole of Indonesia. So that that's really helped us as well. Um, it's just been a great accelerator program for us. Great. Great, and um, so I got a couple of other questions about uh, Gajigetsa itself. Sure. And uh, I think what you, uh, both of you do at Gajigetsa is really meaningful. Um, but the thing is, uh, and, and, and it's differentiated from all your incumbent financial institutions uh, who perhaps are serving the more uh, the more affluent customers, uh, perhaps the previous products that they have come up with, uh, that they have came up with, like the financial services, uh, might have marginalized and left out a certain group of customers who are potentially long-tail and low revenue as well. So what are some of the key challenges in trying to make this into a profitable uh, business while targeting this pool of customers that, you know, your your banks have often overlooked because of reasons like, you know, low margins? No, great question. And as we think about building Gajigasa, our vision is to build a platform, a wellness platform of benefits. When you think about platforms in Indonesia, Benefit uh, platforms are limited to either bigger family groups or tech companies. But if I'm a factory worker making 200 US dollars a month in a factory in Salatiga and Samarang, I don't get any benefits. So that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. As we build more access to uh, blue collar workers across Indonesia, we become good friends with the banks. We are not here to compete with the banks. We see them as partners and we provide them the right access to these individuals. Mm -hmm. And we would love to work with the banks to create products that are going to solve the problems of the needs of the individual. Mm. So yes, there has been a lack of access. There is an underbanked, unbanked customer base in Indonesia. And we want to be that bridge that leads to, that connects the banking world, existing banking world with the blue collar workers. 
And I think from the bank's perspective, sometimes it's limited capacity, or sometimes it's perhaps the culture and the, the bank itself that perhaps might have overlooked all these little uh, problems uh, down on the ground. And you might not even identify all these problems if you're not uh, talking to the blue-collar workers and the underbank. Uh, and I think that's why uh, fintech comes in to, to disrupt this, this space and also to serve all these people who are left behind previously. And I think even Forbes claimed that the underbank uh, provides a three million, uh, no, three trillion dollar uh, industry. And I think it's a great opportunity. And we see uh, a lot of fintech coming in uh, to serve this customer segment. Right. So what are your thoughts on, say, fintech startups like yourself, we have Chime, Square, and plenty of others all coming up with financial services to serve this customer segment. Uh, how do you envision their lives changing in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, so when you think about Square or Chime, um, I think they're solving a very different problem uh, and a very different customer base. Uh, often their solutions are targeted towards the US market. Correct. Uh, much more affluent customer, uh, even if it's a blue collar in the US. Uh, I think we all want to create value for people on the ground. But yes. when you're in Indonesia, you're dealing with people who make $100, $150 a month. Yes. Right? So how do you think about creating benefits for these individuals? I think that remains a prime focus. Uh, we have seen Chime get into, uh, sorry, we have seen Square get into earn wage access. Mm-hmm. Uh, PayPal's made announcements that they want to support this product. Visa is thinking about earn wage access. So this is a vertical globally that's being looked at as a, as a, as a next big thing of supporting exactly. uh, people who need capital mm-hmm. um, and I think Gajigasa fits very well in that position to mm-hmm. be uh, you know we're very lucky to be compared to Square uh, in your conversation <laughs> um, they're such an amazing player but at the same time right, we're trying to solve a similar problem here Exactly. I think you pointed out a really good point. You know, you're unbanked or you're underbanked in the US are completely different in terms of their profiles, uh, their wages, and also their lifestyle compared to someone in Indonesia uh, with a completely different political and social environment and different social issues that you face. Absolutely. Well. Completely different. Uh, and, and that's why we need regional players uh, like you guys to, to really uh, target these groups. So, Indonesia is, of course, one of the most dynamic regions in Southeast Asia, and we, we all know it's the largest uh, in this region. So what are some of the opportunities identified there besides the the immense population as well as the key challenges that you face in this market? Right. So I I think uh, when you get to Indonesia or just Southeast Asia outside the shores of Singapore, you realize that a lot of things are broken. When you look around, you know, maybe the payment space is broken, mm. lending space is broken. For us, when we looked at uh, the benefit space is broken and there's nothing like that exists. Mm. So there is a lot of opportunity out there, but the challenge is that there's so much that's broken that it's not easy to fix because yeah. you need an ecosystem to thrive. Uh, so then you have to pick a problem which based on the you know the opportunities available in today's world, not in 2025. Yes. In today, what you can fix, mm-hmm. and that's why we decided on earn wage access. Um, mm-hmm. Indonesia is also a market where uh, products similar to ours have been tested, uh, maybe informally by the banks and all. Yeah. So clearly, there is a thought uh, that this product needs to be there. Uh, customers understand the product very quickly, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an inclination of employers to do well on the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, they want the employees to benefit, have earned wage access, have other benefits. So we've, we've got great support as we ever entered the Indonesian market. And I think it's the right target market for us. And you mentioned that people have tried it, right? But 
you know, what, what are some of the reasons uh, that di didn't work as effectively or what are some of the key challenges that you think those other players or even the larger financial institutions face? I think there are two things. One is people, uh, you know, often offer lending products. Yeah. Uh, Gajigasa is very different. Earned wage access model is not lending. It's mm. just earned wage access, early access to your salary. Yeah. Think of like a play flexible payroll solution. Mm. I don't think that's been tested enough in Indonesia. Because so, we see a lot of lending products yes. nowadays, right? So yes. market is crowded by lending. Yes. But what we are realizing is, uh, employees need it, but it's predatory. Employers don't like lending, these kind of predatory lending at all. So when Gajikesa comes in, we solve this problem for both the employee and the employer. Yeah. So of course, the pandemic has caused even more instability in Indonesia uh, with the loss of employment uh, and the incomes of blue-collar workers are definitely affected. So uh, how is Gajikesa coming in to alleviate the situation? And did you see any change in demand or consumer behavior Pre and post-pandemic? So I would say we are a COVID baby, right? Mm. We were born within COVID period. So we've never seen pre-COVID. Okay, COVID. okay. Um, and that's how we started. Uh, but in our life of about a year now, what we've seen is that businesses are struggling in Indonesia. Um, there is a lack of capital and they're trying to, you know, solve that problem. Okay. Um, also, uh, they want to provide benefits to their employees, but because they don't have that extra bit of cash, yes. you know, they're not able to provide anything. So we came in at the sweet spot where we partnered with the employer mm. to solve the problem for their employees, you know, in partnership with the employer. Now the employees could do their capital whenever they wanted. Mm. And therefore, they didn't have to go to a loan shark and other benefits which we are building in partnership with the employer. So it's been a pro here that, you know, like we, we were clearly needed in the market when we entered. Obviously, the challenge is when you start a business during COVID, you can't meet in person. Hiring's been a challenge. You know, first time we realized how tall the team was when we landed in <laughs> Indonesia and saw everyone face to face. So there are various challenges you face as you grow a business. But at the same time, you know, the timing has helped us as well in some ways. And speaking of, you know, meeting a team for the first time, how has it been like, you know, juggling between Singapore and Jakarta? How do you manage your team there and even your customers remotely from Singapore? So actually our team's very localized. Uh, apart from me and Martin, as the co-founder, we are in Singapore for now as we wait for our visas. But everyone is in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a country head, uh, mm -hmm. Masade, he joined us. Uh, a few months ago, um, he used to lead Zilingo for the last four years. So he's been a great support in leading the team. Okay. Uh, but so we have localized support. We meet our customers locally. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, yeah, sorry, we are an Indonesian company in every mm -hmm. essence. And do you have any tips for founders out there or uh, managers who are managing the team or even customers for miles and miles away as you have done successfully? So I think we're learning. Uh, it's it's yeah. a learning process, but I think it's very important to over communicate. Mm. Um, I feel like when what, you're face what exactly to, is over communicating. Uh, when you're <laughs> face to face, I think sometimes you know you tend to read the body language a lot. Ah yes. Uh, whereas if you are not face to face, and even if you're sitting in Zoom or Google Meets meetings, you just see a part of the body. Exactly. So just the face. So it's very tough to identify the challenges and all, and it becomes you know your conversations are in pockets of thirty minutes or one hour. Uh, everything's timed. So it's very important to have those sessions with your team where, you know, even if it's a 30 minute session, just take 10 minutes to talk about them rather than work. Try to understand how they're feeling, especially at an early stage. Um, teens are going through a lot of challenge. Parents I'm might, sure. their parents might have COVID, friends might have it. There's a lot of stress that's associated. And as a manager, as a, 
uh, team leader, as a company leader, it's my job to really understand the challenges and support them and be a friend, especially through, through these tough times. So I think that's where Martina and I have put in a lot of effort uh, in just trying to be more of a family rather than just a very transactional approach with our teams, which is basically you know a family at the moment. I see. That's awesome. So tell us about your fundraising journey. How has it been like? So we were very lucky through our fundraising journey that a lot of our investors are actually our friends. Uh, so most of our angel round was with people either Martina had worked or their friends and they believed in us, ex-colleagues. They invested uh, even in our seed round, you know, uh, both DeFi and uh, yeah. Quest that led the round. We had personal connections with uh, yeah. the partners. So that has really helped us. Yeah. I think we kind of raised our funds on our credibility from the past. I'm sure. Yeah. For founders who have came from a corporate background like yourself and Martina, right? How is the transition like uh, from a corporate background or a larger startup background to, uh, to your own startup? How's it like and what are some of the challenges that you face? So actually we worked for bigger startups. When I joined Uber, there were roughly 100 people globally and I was the first person here. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when I joined Stripe, there were 30 odd people. So we worked for big tech companies, but... Uh, Back then, they, small. <laughs> yeah, when we joined, they were very small in Southeast Asia. But I think one of the key learnings which has been is that as a founder, you're just trying to do a million things at, at the same time. When yes. you work for a big company, you know, you'll be doing five things. But for example, you don't have to worry about fundraise because somebody in the headquarters is raising that. You don't have to work on the CFO side because uh, somebody else is building the books. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're a founder, there's just so many fires that are going on at the same time. And every day you have to select the fires which you have to take care of. And were you prepared uh, for that? <laughs> you, you never prepared for it. I think there was a podcast by Reid Hoffman I listened to and he talked about this and now I feel that I live it every day. Yes. Uh, but it, it comes down to, you know, prioritization. Every day you sit down, you figure out the five problems you're going to solve and the sixth one comes up, which was, which you're not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the fun part of being a founder. Exactly. Awesome. And you, of course, mentioned that uh, Quest Ventures is part of your fundraising round uh, as a lead investor. Right? Uh, and how has Quest Ventures helped you uh, through this journey so far? Yeah, so I mean, Quest has been a great partner. I think even when we were raising, uh, you know, we didn't have a product. We were not live then. Uh, we spoke to Yiping once and she was like, I'm going to invest. Uh, so one thing we really loved was that how quickly that decision making happened, because frankly, we just had a pitch deck. So there was probably a yes <laughs> or a no. And she made that decision really quick. Um, secondly, I think which uh, as we went through our process, what we realized was that we found a lot of flexibility there when it came to term sheet and just the overall terms. Mm. Um, it wasn't this is what we want. It was let's sit down and figure out that works best for the founders. So we've been very lucky. And one thing I would say is Quest is very founder friendly. Um, as we've gone through the process after fundraise, uh, two things, again, what we like is uh, we can call on uh, Yiping and the team whenever we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always great advice, mm-hmm. uh, which really helps. Uh, but it also comes down to us asking for help. Right? Like, yes. So it's not somebody who's chasing us or keeping track or behind our shoulder. But at the same time, there's always support available, which we are very happy with. Also, Quest comes with a great network. Uh, some of our key partners we are talking to has been introduced through Quest. So we're very appreciative of the support which we've got through just the whole Quest team. Great. 
Great. And besides Quest, I know you amass quite a fair bit of uh, high-profile angel investors as well. So are they largely strategic investors that uh, you yourself are familiar with from your previous background and how have they helped you along the way as well? Yeah, so most of our angel investors are friends and yes. people we've worked with in the past, both me and Martina. Um, I think our business, the way we describe it is, it's all about partnerships. Exactly. So we partner with businesses and then we offer the product to their employees. We are a partner with other services that can be built on Gajigesa. So it's very important for us to have strategic people who are going to open doors for us. Mm. Uh, you know, so having uh, uh, angel investors from Koala, uh, you know, Harshit's been a great, great support. Having somebody like Jacob who comes from, uh, I forgot the name of the company, uh, Ayukhanet. We've had great angel investors, having somebody like Harshit from Koala, having somebody like Jacob from IOConnect, um, uh, having somebody like Karun, who's ex-colleague of mine from Uber, um, and he's helped us through all our fundraise. You know, he literally sat down and mentored us to every step of our fundraise. Wow, okay. So, have, uh, especially the announcements, right? Like media announcement, he has a PR background. Mm-hmm. So that has really helped us. Like there have been a lot of friends who've stepped up and said that, let me solve this problem for you. Wow, okay. Uh, and you know, okay. it really helps to have those kind of strategic angel investors. Yes, and to open more doors. Uh, they've been opening doors, they've been guiding us, they've been solving the problems. So it's been a great journey for us. Great. Any closing advice for founders out there who are thinking about starting a fintech business? I think one thing I learned uh, uh, something way back about 12 years ago when I was in an NOC program through NUS mm. uh, was that before you even start, do a lot of market research. I think that still holds true for either you're doing fintech or non-fintech. Uh, when we were starting, initially we thought of doing it in Singapore and we spoke to 30 different uh, 30 different employers, spoke to over close to 100 employees and we realized we just don't have the market in Singapore. Mm. Had we not done that, we would still be sitting in Singapore trying to solve a problem which does not exist. So I think that's one thing. Always, always do a lot of market research. The second to your question specific talking about fintech is as you think about fintech startups, you have to also think about your stakeholders. Mm. Often fintech uh, space is very well regulated, uh, may require a certain set of expertise, especially when it comes to say payments, which was my background. So it's very important as an early stage fintech startup to really look around and understand your limitations, Mm. identify your stakeholders and then go for it. Okay, so in summary, the first one is market validation. It's really important in the initial phase. And secondly, of course, uh, identify your stakeholders and some of the limitations and boundaries uh, that you have to work around. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people reach, uh, reach out to you to find out more? I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm not very active on Twitter, but reach out to me on LinkedIn. You'll get a reply within an hour. Awesome. Thank you so much, Vidya. Thank you for spending time with us here at Quest Conversations. And we hope to see you around. Thanks, Vanessa. Great conversation. Thank Thank you. you. I'm Vanessa, and thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Quest Ventures, top venture capital fund in Asia in collaboration with Pixel, the innovation hub of Infocom Media Development Authority. Follow us for more exciting episodes to come and stay in touch with us or find out more about Quest Ventures investment syndicates at questventures.com. Till next time.